Hello. <laughs> What's up, everybody? I'm Craig. This is Jess. We've been married 12 years just recently. <laughs> we just celebrated 12 years. Yes, that's what we did. <laughs> Let's talk about sex. Anybody remember the band Salt and Peppa? Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all, all the, the good things and the bad things that, that may be. Some of y'all are too young and some of y'all are too old to know that. I know Eric knows that. What up? All righty. We're going to talk about sex because everybody's thinking about it anyway. Like the the world. Everybody's talking about it, thinking about it, doing it. And so we think that we should have a biblical view, God's heart for what he designed it for. So I'm here because I'm a preacher. Jess, why don't you tell them a little bit why, why you're here other than being my wife? So I'm Jess. I'm Craig's wife. <laughs> and um, what I do when I'm not here is that I am um, a full-time gynecologic nurse practitioner and so basically I went to school, I studied strictly women's health and got my board certification in gynecology. So um, I spend a significant amount of time talking to women about this very subject. And so um, I think that, I, that, that God's given me a unique perspective um, on some of the issues that we're facing today, especially from the perspective of a woman. And so I hope that if there's any insight that I've gained from that, that maybe we can bring some insights to you today so we can honor God in this way. Yeah. So I want to share a few things with you that we recognize in this moment. And then uh, we're going to share a few foundational principles that are key to get. And then we're going to share just a, a few thoughts on what the Bible actually says and what God's heart is. So here's a few things we recognize. Uh, we recognize that many of you grew up and you were taught and you know clearly what God thinks, what God's will is, what the scripture says about sex and all those things. We recognize that many of you understand that, but we also recognize that there are probably people because, thank the Lord, there's always new people coming to faith in this house, there's young people, or for whatever the reason, we recognize that there's also people here in the room or online that you just don't know what the truth is about God's heart and what he desires for sex. We recognize today that some of you grew up and you were taught that sex is bad or dirty or wrong, okay? And so we want to let you know today that sex is not bad, it is good and it's God's gift and God's design for us within the right context, okay? We recognize that there are some people in here that um, as we're talking and describing, and our hope today is to talk about a lot of the why, we recognize that there's some people that are just, your opinion would be, hey, if God says it, then we should just obey, period. And you're right, that's true, but we also recognize that many people need to understand the why or the heart behind something in order that they can fully get behind obedience. Okay? And so while it is true that if God says it, we should just obey, we're, we're endeavoring to share God's heart with you because his heart is good. And when you trust his heart, I think that you can obey him. Right. And so um, lastly, 
we recognize that, that if you are not somebody that's fully walking in God's will for sex, sexual behavior, if you're not walking in obedience to him, we recognize that that's maybe because you don't actually know what his heart is, but we also recognize that there's some people, and not just in the world, but even in the church, because we're all human, that there are also some people that you do know what God's heart is, you're just disobeying. And so we recognize we have people in all different camps here in the room, and, and so what we hope to, um, by God's grace and God's word, to do today is to express to you what the truth is about mm-hmm. the Bible and what God says about sex, but also to share his heart with you and to, by God's grace, motivate you, stir up in you a desire to repent and obey him. Right. So, so God doesn't give us arbitrary commands, right? Just for the fun of it, just to see if we'll obey. He actually gives us commands for our benefit. And so if you would just have ears to hear. And also just our little setup here. This is just because we're, we're in our living room having coffee with our fam, yeah. having a really low-key discussion about something that's really important. This is actually part of our living room setup. This is our living room. <laughs> kind of makes me feel like it's like a safety zone. <laughs> we didn't want to feel like we were preaching at anybody. We just right. want to act like we're having coffee with you and just yeah. talking to you like a friend. Yeah. And so we want to start with a few foundational, hopefully this works. I'll just use this one. Uh, a few foundational um, premises that you really have to get in order to to talk about the subject so now people of israel listen to what the lord your god demands of you worship the lord and do all that he commands love him serve him with all your heart and obey all his laws i am giving them to you today for your benefit for your benefit this is principle number one jessica just referenced it god's commands are for his glory but also for your good Mm-hmm. Now, this is we have to get this principle before we talk about any of the specifics about this issue or really any other sin issue. We have to understand that that when God commands us something, it's not just like she said, an arbitrary commandment. I just want to see if the humans will obey me. No, no, no. What, what God's will for us is for Him and, and for His glory, but it's also for our good in any commandment that he gives. And so if you, if you don't understand that about the character and the nature of God, you're gonna have a hard time obeying him and you may question him in many areas of life. And so that's the first thing we want you to understand is that, that what God commands of us is for our benefit, okay? Your flesh is gonna tell you otherwise, but, but it's true that he commands of us for our good. And one more principle here. And I just want, as she reads this, I want you to notice as the psalmist is, is speaking all this out, uh, how he's talking about joy and desire and pleasure and delight and all of the good things that he's rejoicing in that God has given him. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints of the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. These lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. 
I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Wow, what a line. Yeah. In your presence, and we just felt it, didn't we? Yeah. In the midst of worship, I just started crying. I was like, why am I crying? Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> In his presence is the fullness of joy, yeah. and there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Yeah. Principle number two that we have to get. God is the author of pleasure and joy, and its fullness is found in him. I sort of grew up thinking that, that feelings of pleasure were dirty and wrong, and, 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 right? Because, listen, the devil cannot create anything. All he can do is twist what is good. God is the author of joy. God is the author of pleasure. God is the author of all good things, including sex. And what the devil does is he twists something that's good and uses it for evil purposes. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, if, if you're thinking, well, God is against pleasure. Or, no, no, he's not. He is all for it. In fact, he wants us to yeah. experience the fullness of joy, which he knows right. is found in him, not in anything else that the world entices you with. Right. Okay. So we have to get these two principles. You have to understand this about the character and the nature of God, or you're not going to understand any discussion about sex or, or probably any other commandment of God. So here we are. Here we go. We're going to jump in today. We've got three points, and each of the three points have three points, okay? Three three-pointers. We're going to talk about lie, truth, and why, okay? Number one is this, the first lie. It is perfectly okay to have sex outside of marriage, especially if you love the person. Okay, so that's, that's a lie, okay? Here's the truth. Sex is God's gift given for and within the context of marriage. Here's just one of countless passages. Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all, or let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So let's talk about why. Sex was designed to be an outward expression of an inward commitment. Sex is given to us as a gift, as an outward gift, an outward action that you take when you have an actual inward commitment. Now let's take a step back. Let's think about why. Because marriage actually is one of the greatest pictures or analogies that God gives us for humanity's relationship with him. Even in Ephesians, when it talks about marriage, he says all this stuff about husbands and wives, and then Paul says, hey, this is a great mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Marriage is a picture for the world to see what our relationship with God is like. Now, what is God like? God is a covenant-keeping God. That is at the very center of his nature. He's a covenant-keeping God. He, he says to us, no matter what happens, I will not leave you or forsake you. I am for you, even if you turn on me, even if you, you spit in my face, even if you kill me, I am here for you and I'm with you. He's a covenant-keeping, commitment-keeping God. Right, And so sex is something that somebody is worthy of receiving from us and we are worthy of receiving from them when we are at the place 
inside that we are willing to make that lifelong commitment. Right. You see, what, what happens today is we think, well, if I love them, well, I can, I can do that, you know, whatever. It's, and, and, but, but the thing is, you're not willing to put a ring on it. And so you're really not ready for the pleasure of her body or for that situation. That situation is designed within the context of a committed relationship. And, and, and I think that this speaks to the very heart of every human, and you don't have to be a Christian to want this. I think, no matter what religion somebody has, even, the, even if you're atheistic, I think that every human being knows that what they really want on the inside, because it's sewn into your DNA, is a desire for somebody to love you and not to leave you when they get tired of you. Yeah. I think God knows because he designed us to desire love, true love and commitment. Mm -hmm. And so he gave us this gift that we can only experience in the fullest of ways within the context of commitment. Right. I think oftentimes, too, we're surprised, especially when I talk to younger women, that they, they use sex as a method to breed commitment and breed intimacy. And it, it's actually the opposite, that intimacy and commitment, sex is an outpouring of that. And, you know, it's just one of those things that goes to show that everything that is good and perfect and all good things come from God, Satan's going to try to twist it just a little bit. So it sounds really good, but it's just a little bit untrue and it leads to disaster. Yeah, that's so significant. She's saying that sometimes women think, well, I'm going to give sex because mm -hmm. what I want is intimacy. Right. But that's not how it's going to work for, for men. It's not, mm -hmm. That's not going to glean you. The fruit that you're going to reap is not what you're hoping to reap right. from that situation. Right. Okay, number two. Sex is perfectly natural, and it's not wrong however you want it. That's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> Here's the truth. God gives clear instruction about works that are led by him and by his spirit and works that are led by the flesh. And sex outside of his design is sin. Okay, here's just a few scriptures. Galatians, it says, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Okay, so they're in opposition. The ways of the Spirit, the, what the Spirit desires is in opposition to what the flesh desires. Uh, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. This is the same passage that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So they're in contrast to each other. The fruit of the Spirit looks like one thing, and the fruit of the flesh looks like another, the works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and it continues. Here's another passage, 1 Corinthians. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin, now listen to this, this is a little interesting, and even as a, a theologian, I don't fully understand, but doesn't almost sound like he's making it sound like sexual sin is sort of in a league of its own. Mm -hmm. Like it says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. It's weird how he sort of sets that distinction. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price, and so glorify God in your body. 
The why, of course, because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And all sexual sin is dishonoring to God and destructive to our own selves. All sexual sin is not only dishonoring to God, and that should be reason enough, but it's destructive to us. So the word here in in both of these passages, and there's a number of different words that show up in the scripture, but the word here in the passages is, is porneia. You can imagine what we get from that, right? And just so you know, biblically speaking, it, what it's ta- when it says sexual immorality, what it's talking about is sex before marriage. So even a, a relationship that you're in where you say, yeah, I love that person, or any degree of sex prior to marriage, it also refers to sex outside of marriage. So if you are married and, and you're having sex with somebody else, it is also talking about bestiality, fornication, and homosexuality. So all, all of these terms are wrapped up in, in God says that all of those things, basically any sexual behavior that's not within the context of a committed biblical marriage, a covenant commitment, is considered to God and his heart to be sexual immorality. Now, even in the passage in Corinthians, like, you know, he even speaks to this earlier. If you read it, he, he, qu- he quotes this saying that must have been popular back in the day. Hey, the food is for stomach and stomach is for food. And, you know, basically what he's pointing out, and I'll touch on it briefly, is this. Because society today is saying the same thing. It, he's saying the argument went, well, our, we're just human and our body, you know, we get hungry and so we eat and that's natural. And so we have desires to have sex and so should we, we should just have sex and that's natural. And it's just a physical thing. But it's not just a physical thing. You need to understand that when you come together with somebody in that way, the two become one, and it's deeply spiritual. I heard a, a, a preacher this week say something that I'd never heard before, and it was, it was um, insightful and significant to me. He said, you know how I know that, that even... Even the unreligious society who says, well, it's just physical, just, just do whatever you want, it's, it's just a physical thing. He says, I know that they don't believe that. Nobody believes that because you would rather be beat up than raped. He said, every human being knows there is a difference between physical violence and abuse and sexual sin, sexual abuse. You would rather have your face punched in than raped because you know at the core of your being that there is something deeper to sex. And it's true. And so I think if it was just alone for the fact that God said don't do it, we should obey that. But even, even if it was like it's, it's not good for us to give ourselves over to this sexual sin outside of the context of marriage, it's bad for us. And God, his heart is for our good. Uh, <laughs> are the Carmody's here? Uh, Bobby always told his kids, hey, you can learn from two teachers. One is wisdom and one is consequences. And one of the things that <laughs> God sets up when when we're, we're talking specifically about sexual immorality is that there's wisdom that you can follow and you can learn that direction, but there are consequences in the natural, you guys. Um, also, things I talk to women about all day, there's consequences in our physical bodies, diseases, ailments, some that never go away, and there's consequences of the mind and actual brain restructuring and remodeling that takes place and hormones that are released during the act of intimacy. 
specifically oxytocin for women and your love hormone. And it makes, it fosters these feelings um, that you might not want to foster with the person that you're giving your body over to. The person that's not going to be your husband or wife. Right. All right, third lie. It's okay to look, but don't touch. It's perfectly okay to look, but not touch. That's a lie. The truth is that what happens with your eyes and in your mind Mm -hmm. is just as important to Jesus as what you do with your actions. Here's just a few scriptures. Check this out. Jesus says this. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. They act. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed Mm -hmm. adultery with her in his heart. And of course, he's not just speaking to men. Here's another one. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, for all things overflow from the heart. And this defiles a person, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, what goes on in the heart. So, of course, God is always concerned with our heart. It's real practical, too, though. So God is concerned with our heart, of course, and, and he, wants, he wants us to walk in purity. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. Who will see God? Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see mm-hmm. God. Right? Yeah. God wants us to be pure because he is holy and set apart, and we are his image bearers. That's who God is, is holy and set apart. We should, as we follow him, we should desire to be pure. It shouldn't just be something, oh man, I have to be pure because I'm a Christian. We Mm -hmm. should desire to walk in the ways of God because we love him, right? Right. But but there's also really practical things to this. Mm -hmm. Like when you, if you watch pornography, it does something to your brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. It's... It is so detrimental to you. And by the way, we're not here to condemn anybody. We're not here to put more shame and more guilt on you if you're struggling in any of these these areas. What we're here to do is to teach you what God says because what the devil does is he wants to lead you into things so that he can pour on shame and guilt and lead you further from God. But what the Bible does is teaches us the truth because then godly sorrow leads us to repentance so then in him we can find freedom. Right. So we're telling you the truth about what God has, right. and we're going to talk about it because I'm telling you right now, the porn industry is the most trafficked area on the internet, yeah. and people are watching it all the time and even in the church, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and it's gotten so bad that right now it has become kind of even a social media thing where as soon as you turn 18, you could turn your phone camera on and sell yeah. your own body for money. It is so scarring to the soul. And sometimes people are like, man, I just don't know why I can't get closer to God. And it's like, well, if you are willingly giving yourself over to sin, especially sexually sin, and then trying to open yourself up to the Holy Spirit at the same time, it's not going to work. Because the soul was not designed to willingly accept and choose sin and and at the same time be Mm -hmm. filled with the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a war on the inside. Right. And on a practical level, there is 500,000 divorces annually in the United States. And in over half of those cases, people cite that at least one of the parties was obsessively addicted to pornography. And so if we don't address the fact that our divorce rates in the church are almost the same as people's outside of the church, and when it comes to pornography and sex before marriage, statistics are, they're like two to 3% different 
if you compare the church to outside of the church. And so some of these things that we're talking about might sound basic that, oh, yeah, of course, don't have sex before marriage. But it, it's not that way anymore. We're in a different culture. It's, it's different now. And we actually have to spell out the ABCs sometimes. But also, not in a legalistic sense, like Craig was talking about, um, God doesn't come to slap our hands with rulers. He came because he desires good and perfect things for us. And we will not stand here and allow the devil to twist it and take it and rob. And so we'll, we'll get a little bit more into the science of pornography, but it is so damaging to our neurochemistry. It changes and remodels your brain and it actually shrinks your frontal cortex, which by the way, is where you make really important decisions. And also controls your impulses. And so people who watch porn have less self-control, less impulse control, and their brains are shrinking. Talk about scientifically what it, what it has the potential, potential to do. So on the science front, um, this is not a secret. You can actually go online and read about these phenomenons, you guys, but um, we all talk about addictions, cocaine, methamphetamine, whatever it might be. And when it comes to pornography, the pleasure center that highlights and that you know turns colors when we're watching brains under MRI technology is really similar to any of the other things that, that we become addicted to. And what happens in addiction, and anyone who's ever had a family member already knows this, is that it always requires just a little bit more to achieve the same degree of high. And so whether it's more drugs or stronger drugs, it's really similar in the porn industry. And these are actually like Pornhub analytics, unfortunately. There's a very uh, predictable pattern that they can actually analyze how often and what type of porn you're looking at, looking at and what the progression will be. And so what happens is, is you become desensitized to the regular, and you can't get that same high, that same pleasure feeling. And so it's a slow fade, right? We get a little more hardcore, and, and just a, a little more hardcore, and then just a little more hardcore, and the girls get a, a little bit younger. Uh, well, she's still an adult, though. She's, she's 18. And then, oh, well, well she's kind of close to 18. She's probably 17. And then they get a little bit younger, and a little bit younger, and a little bit younger. And nobody wakes up and decides to become an addict, you guys. No one wakes up and says, I'm setting, I'm fixing to become an alcoholic today. I'm, I'm fixing to get real addicted to pornography and you know have attractions to, to children. But the devil, he knows this about our nature, and he knows our brain chemistry better than we do. And he knows that if we give him an inch, he will absolutely exploit it, and he will take a mile. And so when you think about getting a little tiny foothold in, you need to shut it down and realize that you will desensitize your brain. And another interesting thing is that, uh, because I talk to women oftentimes about sexual things, what happens is, is when people are consuming pornography, it's 100% correlated with decreased pleasure in real life. And so the more you consume porn, the less fulfilled you will be in real life. And the regular and the mundane, all of a sudden, 
doesn't cut it anymore. You go home to your very regular wife who maybe her hormones have changed, maybe she's put on a little weight, and all of a sudden, um, it's not happening anymore. And there's a term that we use in the medical field called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Ain't gonna read about that on Instagram. <laughs> but let me tell you guys, it's real, you can Google it, it's not a secret, and what we're seeing is this phenomenon of young adolescents and young adults. This is, we're not talking 90-year-old age-related normal stuff. We're talking sexual prime, and they have been so desensitized by pornography that they can no longer achieve intimacy with a real human. So... It should be good enough for us that God says that he, that he hates it and he's against it for us not to do it. It should be good enough. It should be, put that aside, it should be good enough for us to know that when we feed into this industry, we're actually, people are perpetuating the sex slave industry and abuse of people, particularly women. That should be good enough. But if you even put all that aside, it should, it should, we should be convinced when we actually understand that it's harmful to us. That, that, number one, pornography specifically speaks to the very core of sin nature, which is extreme selfishness. It's a total fantasy, and it's, so, it's completely self-centered. It's all about you getting exactly what you want when you want it. And so it's harmful to you. It's for your benefit, not to, but it's not just, you know, pornography. We live in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Here, we have a beach right in front of us. There's going to be lots of skin shown this summer. You go to the gym or whatever, like, we have a responsibility to not just be aware of what we're doing with our actions, but what we're thinking about, what we're looking at, because it's, 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 it's according to God's will, but it's also for our good to protect our eyes and to pursue holiness. So here in closing, we just want to, um, we want to speak to a few different groups of people in, in the room. And so I'd like to s just speak to the youth and the young adults in the house. Um, maybe, maybe your middle school, maybe your high school, maybe your college, I don't know, maybe you're younger, you've never been married. I just want to let you know, first of all, that sex is not dirty and it's not bad and it's not wrong. It's, it's good. It's good. That's important for you to hear because for me, the era that I grew up, it was all like, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And for about two months after getting married, I felt really guilty and dirty. And it's the most interesting, it's one of the most interesting things because there's a lot of sins that it's like, okay, murder's pretty much bad all the time, right? Um, helping the poor and the widows, that's pretty much good all the time. And then there's this thing that's like huge in society, but it's like wrong in the wrong context and then in the midst of, for us, like in the midst of one day, it's all okay. It's all good. And so I just want to, I want to, I don't, you know, I was just taught like it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. You're bad, you're bad, you're bad. Don't, don't, don't. I want to let you know it is good. It is good. It is God's gift. It's his design for you in the right context and you will experience it in a blessed way when you do it within his context and his design. Okay, so if you're a young person, uh, know that it's good. Number two, know that the Holy Spirit inside you is strong enough to lead you into the day that you can make a commitment to that person. Number three, do not convince yourself that once you get married and get to have sex with somebody in person, you won't need porn anymore. That is not 
how it's going to work. If you're try, thinking that you're going to use porn all up until you could do it for real, you're walking into a really dangerous situation. Make the decision that you're going to walk in holiness now, and God will prepare you to be the person that's ready to get married, and then you're going to walk into a blessed union. Okay? Um, so next group of people that we want to talk to is um, married people. And one of the most interesting things is that the devil will literally do anything to get you to have sex before marriage. And then the devil will literally do anything to get you to stop having sex after marriage. <laughs> it might come as a shock to some of the young people. <laughs> but I've talked to enough women over the course of many years um, that it, it's a phenomenon that um, I think almost anyone experiences. Yes, of course, there's different situations and seasons of life, pregnancy, kids, hormones. There's things that are real and organic, and we recognize that. Um, but there's also just an interesting thing that I think that our, our culture has kind of lied to women and told us that we're supposed to have this spontaneous high desire just like men all the time. And the truth is, it's it's... It's not how we're actually bio biologically created. And so if you actually look at the science, you will find that, that men often have spontaneous desire. You know, driving, doing nothing, whatever. Spontaneous, I don't know. Literally doing, you man. could be doing nothing. Yep. You're literally doing nothing. And I get these, these women who are in my office weeping. Uh, well, my husband says I'm broken. I'm, I'm not in the mood. Something's wrong with me. Fix me, fix me. And what I have found is that women have, again, this is a generalization. There's outliers always. But in general, women have what's called responsive desire. So men have spontaneous. Women have responsive. So men are like a one-switch toggle. <laughs> and women are like the cockpit of a fighter jet. There's like buttons and things that need to be calibrated and wheels and dials and, you know. And so <laughs> all the married people of the house are like, preach. <laughs> and so what happens is, is that men assume women are supposed to be like men and women assume that women are supposed to be like men. And God didn't design us. He designed us male and female in his image, both of us perfect. And so... Um, talking to the men really quick is that it's okay if your woman doesn't turn on like a light bulb at the end of a stressful day. Guess what? That's actually normal. And there, there requires a 23 and a half hour <laughs> foreplay, if you want to say it that way, for women. Does she feel safe? Does she feel respected? Does she feel like she has a teammate? Are you helping around the house? Those things are... are part of the multifaceted thing that contributes to that for women. And, and it's okay that we're different. It's actually perfect. And on the other side, um, just because you don't have spontaneous desire does not mean you are broken. And it doesn't mean that you can't also respond and say yes. Yeah. I want to say this to the, well, the married people, um, but really also anybody in the sense that if you are choosing sexual sin, it's 100% on you. We teach this principle to our kids. Well, she, you know, my son's like, well, she did this. I said, well, your choices are, you're fully capable of your own choices no matter what she did to you, right? So 
I gotta say two, I gotta say two things that sound contradictory, but they're not. If you're choosing sexual sin, it's 100% on you. You are responsible for your purity before the Lord. At the same time, if you're married, you have a responsibility to your partner. Now listen to this. It even says this in the scriptures. That, uh, Paul talks about this. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may divorce, devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. Talking, this is talking about sex, this passage, within marriage, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It doesn't talk explicitly about mm-hmm. Satan directly tempting you that often, but he's saying here that, that within marriage, it is something, that he actually says right before this, that your body doesn't belong to, you, to yourself, it belongs to your partner. And earlier, we already read it, belongs to the Holy Spirit, but it also belongs to your partner. And so, again, I just want to, and you can add on this, if you're choosing, I'm saying this because sometimes, and I can't really speak for women, but sometimes I could, I could see a man being like, well, fine, if you're not going to, if you're not going to do it, I'm forced to find it elsewhere, right? And we justify in our mind, like, I have to go to this or that or the other thing because that person's not doing, right? And so, but if you choose to walk in sin, it's on you, but at the same time, mm-hmm. You have a responsibility to the other person. Right. So in this culture, um, women are all about, you know, bodily autonomy. Every, there's just so much twisted truth. And what happens is, is um, women will say, well, I'm not in the mood, so that part of my life is over. And, you know, too bad, so sad for him. And the problem is, um, is that we're giving the devil a foothold. And very rarely in Scripture does it say, do this, lest Satan gain entrance, gain a foothold into your marriage. And so as a God-fearing woman, within the context of marriage, of course, what an honor to be able to serve and honor my husband in a way that actually prevents Satan from gaining a foothold in my marriage, it's actually a really cool blessing, you guys. And the thing is, is that um, when you do say yes, it's okay if you're not there in that moment. That actually comes a little bit later for women most of the time. And that's a beautiful thing, you guys. You're not broken. Your marriage is going to be okay. But don't give up and just say no and walk away. Honor your husbands in this way. It's just, I dare you. I dare you. See what God does. And if you're wondering, if you're of the mind that, well, he doesn't love me and doesn't show me that, so I'm going to withhold that. Don't ever weaponize sex because it is a good and perfect gift from the Lord. And I wonder how his heart breaks when we withhold and we weaponize sex against our, our spouses. And, um, and so in the love and respect book, it talks about when men don't feel respected, they don't act in loving ways toward their wives. And when wives don't feel that loving, then they withhold respect and it's the crazy cycle. So who's the first one to break it? I would say whoever considers themselves to be the most mature in your relationship, be the one. Initiate or act loving or whatever it looks like for you in your particular walk. But get off the crazy cycle now because it doesn't end well. Amen. I'm going to draw this to a conclusion here with just a few final remarks. Um, 
I hope that it's, we can't, obviously, there's so much to talk about, but I hope that we've done a good job of it, at least on a surface level, expressing to you what the truth is of God's heart and the scriptures clearly commanding us because we live in a culture that is very much, listen, I get it. We are the weird ones at this point. We are, right? But to society, God is, is the weird one in general. But we know that God is real, and we know that God is good, and we know that his heart for us is good and right. And so um, I, I hope that you understand now, because we have come across, even in the church, even in the family of faith, people that just don't really know. And it, it, it is a sin outside of the context of marriage, uh, sexual immorality, and it's not only against God, it's harmful to you. And here's the second thing as we close. Whatever it is that's happened in your past, There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is grace and there is forgiveness. There is hope for you. There is deliverance. And even if you have been walking in something, making that choice, you can experience a new day today and, and, and set your heart on the right track moving forward. Okay, and so I want to leave you with hope today, and and we even wrestle with this, like how should we end this thing? And maybe we should just say a prayer and go on. But I I felt the Holy Spirit push me to say, no, no, no. I want to do some business with people, and sometimes for me to be able to do the radical healing that I want to do, it takes a radical response from people. So I want to ask you to stand to your feet right now.